I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Well, hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the Disney-related, all things related to Disney podcast for the Front Row Network. Uh, and I am Craig. I'm joined with my wonderful co-host, Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. And also Brett Rutherford. Hello. And then we have a special guest that we'll get to here momentarily. We're actually delving outside of the world of Disney just for a minute to talk about a production coming up at the Springfield Muni of Peter Pan, which, of course, is not necessarily the Disney Peter Pan. Right. So. Everyone listening is going, oh, Craig, you're so silly. Peter Pan is Disney. That's right. That's right. Uh, but there are some differences. And actually, there's a lot of similarities to them as well. Of course, all based off of the J.M. Barry uh, classic story. But I noticed last night in the rewatch that some of Hook's dialogue is translated directly to the Broadway mm-hmm. show and all of that. But before we introduce our guest, Vanessa, we have a special event event coming up, and I wanted you to plug that, talk about that, get people there. Absolutely. Well, we have got a really fun night planned for June 15th. That is a Saturday. We are hosting our very first Disney Trivia Night. Oh, my gosh. I know. We've been talking about it for a while, and we're finally going to do it. So um, this is going to be benefiting one of our local nonprofits, the Sagamon Valley Youth Symphony. But if you know Disney, if you like Disney, if you know anything about Disney, I think you're going to have a great time. We're going to cover all kinds of Disney stuff, Disney parks, Disney Channel, movies. Uh, even Star Wars, Marvel, Disney music. That is going to be a couple of really big things at this event. So um, please join us again Saturday, June 15th. We will have cash prizes for the top three winners and a prize for best costume. So you can come Disney bound, come in your Disney costume, and we're just going to have a really great time. Doors open at 6, trivia starts at 7. Uh, it's $10 per person. You can get a table for $100. That's completely fine. If you want to sign up, you need to call the uh, Sangamon Valley Youth Symphony Office at 753-8000. That, of course, is area code 217 for our local listeners, those who obviously around the world. I'm sure we have people <laughs> internationally that are listening. So sure. 217-753-8000, or you can email svys.svco at gmail.com, and we look forward to having you join us at our Disney Trivia Night on June 15th. We consistently have listeners in France, actually. And so <laughs> if you're out there listening Bonjour. to us Bonjour. in France... How do you uh, say Disney trivia night in French? En français. <laughs> you got the last part of it right. Sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Disney trivia en français, s'il vous plaît. Anyway. So. There you go. If, that's do great. you want to go? Say, oui, well, oui. That's how, how do you say Disney trivia in French. <laughs> so, anyway... Wonderful. Answer us back. Uh, In English. What are we going to be? Yes, please. What are we going to be dressing up as? Are Brett and I going to be the penguins and you're going to be Mary Poppins? But you haven't thought of that costume. I want to be a penguin. So Brett can be Mary Poppins. No, you have to be Mary Poppins. You have to be Mary Poppins. No, I'm like going, I've actually been a penguin professionally. But anyway, I'm sorry. That's a whole other time. I say we could probably talk about that for hours, but we have a guest waiting. So we better talk to him. Oh, that's a good idea. So uh, I am having the privilege of playing Smee in the upcoming Peter Pan. And, of course, uh, the captain of the ship is here. We have Captain Hook himself, Gus Gordon. Nice to get you finally on the podcast. Well, Craig, Vanessa, Brett, thank you very much for having me today. Yeah. Are you happy to be here? <laughs> 
Oh, now Brett is oh, going to have no. a real problem with that. Because he's no. against pirates going arg. Yeah. <laughs> As my toes curl. I think I would, no, honestly, I think I was kidnapped by a pirate in a former life because I have this, you know, this visceral uh, reaction to the A-U-R-G-H sound. So, but anyway, it's not about me. Please continue. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's not about me. Why don't you talk about me? <laughs> <laughs> that's basically how these things work. Well, you that know. That is a touchstone movie, so that's okay, too. That, there you go. There you go. Now, we do have something we don't prep our guests for at all. But okay. we ask them the very first thing we ask them when they get on the podcast. And Brett adds an addendum to this. So, But first, I'm going to say, what's your favorite movie? Doesn't have to be Disney related. Okay, um, you know this is going to be sacrilegious. Um, there's so many. You can kind of narrow it down to a couple. But, I know, but you just have to go to with your gut feeling. Singing in the rain. That's a pretty Aww. good gut That's feeling. The first Star Wars, the real number one. Oh, uh, the, real, the real number one. That's right. Oh, yeah. and I've always loved. Of course, Mary Poppins, but Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was oh, also good. a great yeah. movie that I loved as a kid. And oddly enough, Hello Dolly with Barbara Streisand, I think that was a great movie, regardless of what the critics movie. said at the time. That's okay. Well, that's another um, that's another Gene uh, Kelly movie. That's right, as director. Yeah. I know that you're a huge Batman 66 fan. I'm exactly. surprised you didn't say that movie with the shark repellent and well, everything else. Well, even, even I can <laughs> recognize that it's, that it's kind of a lame movie at times. <laughs> they didn't bring their A game to that well, necessarily. No, I mean, they were, they were, it was very kitsch and they were very, they were very aware of that even at that time. And, and Lee Merriweather was a fine substitute. But Catwoman no. without Julie Newmar, Hello. I'm sorry, that's uh, yeah. she's number one always. But that was a pretty fantastic movie, and the bomb bit will go down as one of the best pieces of cinematic uh, acting on record. Or, or how about, well, I'm sorry, yeah, but uh, what about um, um, the UN and you, you're um, vaporizing everyone into little, uh, you know, into dust? The sand. You know? Right. Yeah. Very but to have, to have those... Three guys together, Burgess Meredith, Cesar Romero, and Frank Gorshin, mm-hmm. and Lee Merriweather was great, mm-hmm. but that was amazing. That was it's awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. And okay. I, I was born in 65. The TV series came out in 66. And honest to God, my first words were not mommy or daddy. They were da 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 Batman. That is awesome. <laughs> Much That's to my awesome. parents' chagrin. They That's were upset awesome. about That's that. Okay. Um, so, now, Brett's addendum to this question. What's your favorite What's, Disney movie? Yeah, Disney. Oh, okay. Um, I should have been better prepared for this. No, no. You no, know, no. I, I would say perfect, probably so okay. The Little Mermaid because it ushered in a new era of Disney animation. And it was just so unique at its time because it was a movie that adults could appreciate with a Broadway quality score and as much as I enjoyed the, you know, because I was kind of a a kid and a teen in that in that in between land with a lot of you know down under and um, a lot and of the, the movies and Oliver and Company where the animation wasn't at the top of their game, oh, but okay. Little Mermaid brought it back to the very top of their game. Absolutely. I think absolutely it ushered in an entire new wave of Disney movies for sure. But we're here today to talk about Peter Pan and particularly uh, sort of the the comparisons that could be made, the similar similarities, the uh, differences between what we are bringing to the stage later on here in Springfield uh, and what 
Disney brought to the screen, right? So let's talk a little bit about the Springfield Muni production. Sure. Because you're getting to play uh, Captain Hook. Is this a role that you've always wanted to play? It is. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't want to play John or Michael. I want uh, Captain Hook was obviously the role. <laughs> as far as I was concerned, that was the fun part. And a lot of that had to do with uh, Cyril Richard, who played it. On Broadway and in the Mary Martin TV version, he was such a unique character that his vocal mannerisms inform what I'm doing a lot. And then Hans Conried, obviously in the movie, is just a brilliant voice actor um, with his, um, oh, what did he do, Fractured Fairy Tales, I think. And he just, he did a lot of those 1960s cartoons and his voice was so unique. And that always interested me, that kind of... Um, and, and Disney has always been the king at this, of finding unique voice actors that are just, you hear them, and you know, you've heard them in a hundred different places, but just with slight variations. They were all brilliant, but Hans Conrad was an important uh, influence as well. And that's kind of, I'm keeping him in mind with the character, too. Um, you know, there are many different ways to play Captain Hook. You can take it seriously. You can make him a villain like... Um, um, like in Harry Potter, I keep thinking of you know Lucius Malfoy, mm-hmm. and he of course did play Hook in in a movie. Um, but you can also take it in the very campy direction, which is most definitely where it was with Mary Martin and Cyril Richard in the in the '60s television broadcast. But I'm trying to find a happy medium where he's still comical, but a little bit more of a threat. And um, a little bit more masculine, perhaps, than he was portrayed on television. Um, and a little bit more of a threat. And we have a male Peter Pan in this production. Frequently on stage, it's played by um, an actress. And in this production, we have a great um, guy from Decatur, Devin Lemming. Lemming. And uh, Devin's doing a fantastic job. But that makes the fight a little more... A little more at stake, and James Daniels is our fight choreographer, and it's not just—it's not just very campy and you know swish swish swish. We're actually have a choreographed fight that has a little more weight to it, and uh, that's been kind of you know fun to to bring to the characterization too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I haven't uh, had a ton of time to work with Devin, but I want to prop him up because the times that I've seen him in rehearsal, he is just so great. At oh, he role. is, and um, it's interesting. I was talking with some of the other pirates, and it's it's interesting to have a... <laughs> I was not laughing, thank you for laughing with me. <laughs> I was, I, it's interesting to have a male Peter Pan only because I think it adds another level of your mind can go different places with it. And for me, my Peter Pan was Hook growing up. So Robin right. Williams was yes. my Peter Pan. And yeah. uh, in a way, having a male Peter Pan that does have kind of a lower register and things like that... Uh, it's kind of like, is he starting to grow up but doesn't realize it? That kind of a thing. And there's a little bit of additional intrigue, I feel like, in that character. Right. And Devin's just nailing it. He's doing such a great job. You've worked with him much more uh, right. than I have. So I don't know if you want to sing his praises as well. Well, I most definitely do. He's doing a fantastic job. And I, I really think this does add an additional element to the production. And again, grounds it a little bit more. When And, and this is no knock on the normal way that 
Peter Pan is produced, because I think that's very effective as well. But it's more comical, perhaps, the threat. Um, Captain Hook has played campier. Uh, Peter, it's like the, the British pantomimes, mm-hmm. with the lead boy was always played by a woman, and the, the comic villain uh, sometimes played in drag. He would play the evil stepmother or Captain Hook, or, you know, it was kind of that mixing of genders. Um, but by having a, a, a young, athletic male Peter Pan, I think that adds more of a dynamic between the two of us, and he's more of a... Um, I don't know. It's, it's we have more of a dynamic together that I think makes it interesting. And again, that's not to knock the way it's frequently done, which is very, um, very you know perfect. But this just adds a little difference to it. Absolutely. And you know, this is the seventh time that it's coming to the Muni stage here in Springfield, and uh, it's because basically every six to seven years or so, there's a whole new generation of kids that you can expose this story to. But uh, I can open this up even more uh, to around the table. But what do you think, in general? This is a this is a story that's been retold and retold and retold through movies, through TV, through stage adaptations, through books. Uh, there's parodies of it everywhere. Everyone knows of the story of the boy that never grows old. Uh, why do you think this has such an impact, particularly with kids, and why do you think that that connects? Is it just the simple linear line, the line that um, I don't ever want to grow up, or is it a bit more than that? Vanessa, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, oh, well, I don't know, because I'm with you. A Hook was my uh, movie growing up, and I just loved that uh, seeing Robin as a very youthful um, character. I mean, as he finally gets into his role as Peter Pan, in the beginning he's kind of a little bit stuck up and he's, you know, <laughs> well, he but he's a grown up. He's a grown up. <laughs> we all talk like that. But, uh, but you know, seeing him, so you can be an adult and still be youthful and seeing these, these, this great fantasy in the film and, and that I think translate into any story is just really something to get excited about of this imagination. Um, I will say another thing. In the, so we're not supposed to talk about the Hook movie, but my favorite part of that movie is the way that the kids connect to the mothers mm-hmm. that they once had or never had. And it breaks my heart. And there's this one character in Hook that I always, I'm probably going to cry if I start thinking about it, where he finds, you know, he steals the marbles and he's like, my happy thought is my mother. And I, oh, I always tear up. And I think that is... You know, maybe you don't think your kids are that deep, but they really do. Kids love their parents, and yeah. and I think they also relate to that. Of- well, and that's maybe part of the story that's not necessarily always addressed, and it is a bit in the, the stage adaptation that, that we're putting on, um, but that beginning of that book is basically uh, the prams rolling down the side of the hill because uh, they're they're going away from their mothers or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's how the boys go to Neverland, and, yeah. and it, so it is a little bit uh, of a dark beginning um, to the actual source material or to the story, but uh, Brett, what do you think? Why do you think Peter Pan has endured uh, through um, over 100 years now? Well, as far as well, uh, as far as like the stage, the stage production, um, they fly, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. um, for anyone, but especially for kids. I think it's just the fantasy element, and it's just a, it's just a whimsical story with great characters, and that's what I think draws uh, audiences and younger audiences to the show. I think um, with the whole idea of, of you know. You know the boy that wouldn't grow up. I mean, that's. I think that has more uh, 
resonance with adults than uh, with the adult audience than with the children because they're the kids. So you know, their time the time frame is you know how you know a year seems like forever you know to them, but you know for their parents mm-hmm. you know they they know they recall being young and all that. So I think their frame of reference is is different. And then you know comes the whole Peter Pan syndrome. There, that's there it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Peter Pan syndrome. I think that's you know. And so on again, behalf of women everywhere. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I specifically remember being a kid and wondering when I wasn't going to be a kid anymore and being terrified. So maybe that's something else that kids can really, a reason why they really relate to this story. And, yeah. and, and as you see, generations and generations and generations are loving the story. Well, and even adults. I mean, we're, in, we're, we're a bunch of adults that love to go to Disney World and do, you know, kid, child, yes, like that. That is, right. that right. is right. different than Peter Pan's yes. yeah. <laughs> um, You know, it, it, Brett said something that, that really kind of resonated with me, that for kids, you know, time goes on forever. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, time is fleeting, and you realize that. So I, I think it's really a morality tale about how people reflect on time, but also think of it as the kids, every kid fantasizes about not having that authoritarian parent and what they would do if they were given free reign to eat that moist and damp cake um, and do whatever they wanted to, to, to swing from trees, to fight pirates, and, and you know swim in lagoons and, and have no... Adult authority tell them what to do. That is really appealing to a lot of kids. But at the same time, I think they like that structure too. So knowing mom and dad are still, you know, within uh, grasp is is a reassuring thing. And I think we discovered that in this show that at the end of it, and I don't think this is giving away a spoiler after a hundred years. <laughs> um, you know, the, even the lost boys come back because they decide they want to have a mom and dad too. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have that freedom, but also it's comforting to know that there are people looking out for you who yeah. can yeah. save you from the bad guys, even if Captain Hook happens to also be played by the same actor playing Mr. Darling, which just adds this Freudian element to it that blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm tr- still trying to figure it all out. You mentioned the cake, and in the movie Hook, my favorite scene is when they have all the food in front of them, Uh and I was in fat kid heaven when I watched that as a child. I was like, oh, I just got to get to this buffet. (laughs) With wonderful oranges and blues and like All these colors. I'm like, oh, I just want to eat all of it. How fun would it have been to film that scene with Steven Spielberg just going, can't just make a mess. Just do it. There's a clip out there on YouTube about the kids who are in that movie 25 years later, and they're all adults, and they do a photo shoot where they're wearing, if not the same costumes, at least similar costumes. And, it, you know, it's really appropriate for this show because they did grow up, and there's the proof of it, yeah. them as adults. And some of the stories are happy. Some of the stories are sad. You know, their acting career peaked with that movie with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams, and some of them have gone on to successful careers. But it kind of really, you know, hits you. It's like, oh, yeah, time does go fast, and we do all grow up, and those dreams we had sometimes change for the good or for the worse. But yeah. But did they show the buffet? The- they did not show the buffet. No, they should have. And, and, really the, and the, the kid fight. who would roll himself up and roll down the hill, yeah, uh, he was featured one. in it, too, and he favorite. is slimmed down considerably since well, those days. So. 
he must have cut out the buffets. Yeah. Hey. But let's talk about... Uh, it is slim fast. <laughs> let's talk about uh, differences between the uh, stage adaptation and the movie that we're going to discuss here in a few minutes. Um, but, Gus, uh, talk about the, the differences that you see in uh, whether that be just Captain Hook or just the story in general and sort of some... I, I think that I can take bits and pieces from each of the different stories and sort of enjoy them in one iteration more than I did another. Do right. you have any of those? My, my example of that would be I really love the Peter-Wendy relationship in the stage adaptation more than I do in the Disney movie. I yeah. feel like they have more of a connection. They have many more songs together, and it just seems like um, that maternal or that friend relationship is developed a lot more in the stage adaptation. But what are your thoughts about some of the differences between well, the two? One of the biggest differences that I noticed, and I rewatched the movie yesterday, actually, and is the way they treat Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. And that adds a whole other element to it with her being the jealous you know, stand-in for the girlfriend, and that adds a very adult relationship dynamic to Peter Pan and Wendy, and I think that's more um, sensitive in the play version. That's not heightened quite as much, and yes, Tink is still a little jealous, but you don't see this cute little, uh, you know, fairy, you know, fuming at this terrible, horrible girl who's taking her man away, so Mm -hmm. that, that got a little, it's like, oh, that's a little... It was strange for a kid's movie. Uh-huh. They, they highlighted that aspect of it. Um, you know, the, I think you can't even talk about Peter Pan without talking about some of the racial changes that we've had over the generations. And I was a little, looking back at it, with 2019 eyes, it's like, oh, that was a bad idea. Well, and that's the nice part about the stage adaptation is that you can make some of those changes. The the movie is there forever. So I did watch right. it yesterday, and, you know, some of the, the slurs, really, that they're using for uh, Native people or, you know, and Native that, word, that right. word has changed so many mm-hmm. times. Right. Um, but, like, in our play, the director, Elizabeth Cheney, has decided to, to change Indians to warriors and kind of explore that idea, and then that that way you're not necessarily throwing out mm-hmm. that um, somewhat politically charged word. Uh, you know, right. and there's some other uh, hook refers to them as a word uh, in the show adaptation that we've changed. Um, right. You know, that's mentioned. Oh, sure. The, and so sure. It, it's, it is interesting that because theater is ever evolving, you can kind of change some of those things in our production that can't be changed in the Disney movie. And, you know, I think they were dealing with racial stereotypes of the time that were commonplace, unfortunately. Mm. And they were on television. I mean, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you 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 looked at the Tom and Jerry cartoon, they're horrible. We don't talk about the other cartoons. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, we can talk about those. They are horrible. You're right, guys. Yeah, but it's like, oh, my God. I can't even, even... with 1940 standards, that was just wrong. Uh-huh. What were you thinking? But the, the joy of the play is this is really set in a fantasy land, and you're, you're not... I mean, the pirates are, are, are really kids playing pirates, and the warriors are really kids playing warriors, so it's you're not trying to have an authentic look necessarily, and they're going in our production for a very different look with the characters. 
Um, and, and I think it's really, you have to pay attention to that kind of thing in today's world and make it more palatable for everybody. But you don't want to defang it either. And, and I think Elizabeth's walked a really great line. And people who are purists will enjoy the show. Um, you know, there are some people who think, well, Peter Pan must be played by a woman. Well, I've, I've heard of several productions and, of course, movies where that is not the case. So mm-hmm. you have to open your eyes, change your opinion a little bit, and see what we bring to the table. And I think people will enjoy it equally if they can get past these preconceived notions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, the Muni, to kick off the Muni season, the Muni is really one of the major reasons why I'm still in Springfield because getting cast in that first Muni show was such a huge deal to meeting all of you, really. Uh, you know, I didn't know Aww. any of you prior to. Oh, My first show was Susical, but then after that, it's kind of a, a cascade of doing yeah. so many different shows. I did Ragtime, and I did Joseph here at the Hoagland. Um, and so uh, in 1776 was where I met the two of you, right? Because I mm-hmm. think you were involved in that STC production somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but anyway, it, it all started uh, underneath the stars out at the Muni. So if you're yeah. in the Springfield area and you're not, you've never been out there, I really encourage you to go. And then also, um, when we do these kind of episodes talking about theater, I always like to talk about getting involved. And there's probably no better person to talk to than you because you are very involved in the arts community and and helping uh, of course uh executive director of the hoagland center for the arts but what's your um and we should mention that devin is brand new to the muni yes, he's he never is. been on that stage before what's your best advice for getting someone getting involved in the local arts community as a whole show up <laughs> right. audition um there there are sometimes people who are disgruntled and say oh they're a closed house they'll never cast anybody new well you look at this season and you realize that is not the case mm-hmm. there's at least 50% new people i would estimate yeah. um and it and that happens every year you know i've i've been involved since 1991 my first show was as a prince in into the woods and i'm no longer in my prince stage i'm now in the <laughs> drunken uh, cinderella's father stage um of my acting career but they love new people coming in. Um, they've seen my tricks. They know what I do. They can pretty much guess my performance after they've heard I've been cast. Um, Brett was about to defend me there. Of course I was. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, no. All right. Yes. Come on, come on. Say the kind words. Dude, please but, say everything. But no. you know, when you see that new person come in, there's a genuine excitement. He's it's like, being oh. awfully humble because he's always so good. Well, you're very kind. But it's, you know what I mean? It's You yeah, see that new absolutely. person that's exciting and brings fresh energy. And Muni uh, is very welcoming. And we have, you know, a lot of new directors working this year, your wife included, and Connor McManera, a um, couple of standbys like Craig Williams, who always does great work, Craig Williams II, and um, Elizabeth, this is her second show in the director's chair out at the Muni anyway. And then, of course, we also have Andrew Manerich and Morgan uh, Kaplan, who have done a sister act last year. But it is a welcoming group that gives people opportunities. And I, I hate when I hear people who, you know, maybe have one bad experience. You know what I really hear is people who are kids growing up in those seasons where there'd be one kid's show or two parts available. And they would say, oh, I've been trying for years and I never got cast. It is harder for kids. Yes, um, Because there are... Kids are always looking, parents are always looking for opportunities to get their children involved. And muni auditions, you'll have 200 adults, you'll have 300 kids. 
And I think, isn't that, you've been on the board for a while. That's fairly consistent, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Uh, and this season, we cast right around um, 50 to 60 kids, but that's abnormal. I mean, it really, right. this, this season is very uh, child-heavy. We have uh, Lost Boys and Fairies and Warriors in our show. There's Munchkins in uh, Wizard of Oz, and of course, Evita has a children's Children. chorus, too. So, um, But yeah, no, I, I totally agree with where, where you're going there, and it's just getting involved, even um, if you don't make that first audition, uh, helping out backstage or just volunteering out at these organizations. Uh, I'm sure you're always looking for volunteers here at the Holland Center for the Arts and then also uh, organizations like the Muni. There's so many ways to get involved in the local arts community and I encourage wherever you're listening from to do that and to get involved and and because you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to make lifelong friends with. And friends too for our friends. Can you say it once in France? Uh That's that's a great point, uh, Craig. And I think it's so true. I, I often tell people the easiest way to make friends in a new city is to get involved in a show, a musical or a comedy or whatever, a dramatic piece, because you have a group of people who are frequently not friends to begin with. They're pulled together for the shared experience. It's intense. It happens usually within eight weeks. You have to bond. You have to join together to put on a show. And you form friendships that last forever. Some of our, my wife and I, Claire, our first show was Into the Woods in 1991 with Doug Hahn and Cinder Reitzman and Lee Steiner and Gary Schull, and they're still among our, our oldest friends in town that we still get together with frequently. Um, you build those friendships, and if, if you are new to a town and you're, you haven't made those connections at work or in school or at church or wherever else you might make at the bars, wherever, this is a great place. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, a great family um, endeavor. So many families work together at the Muni. The kids, uh, uh, oh gosh, um, Rodney Holzmacher, mm-hmm. the chiropractor in town, his son Charlie and his, his daughter are both in Peter Pan. And, you know, the kids got involved, but now he auditioned and was in Christmas Carol for the theater center last Christmas. So families get together, and you'll have entire families, Jim Leach and his kids, and his his late wife, the Donathan, Greg and Cece. right? Yeah. The Donathan family, all oh, of them have been on to, stage to meet future partners and and, and exactly a lot of love affairs have all formed that, there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long history too. Exactly, Absolutely. but it, it's a great family endeavor. Especially, I mean, there are some more adult shows. But the family shows, it, it, it's fun for all the age groups to get together. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, wrap up our discussion of sort of this production that we're going to be putting on, and then we'll move into a discussion about the Disney film. Do you have any other words that you want to uh, put out there for our production of Peter Pan, opening up on May 31st, I should say, right. uh, very briefly after this episode drops, it will be coming up. Well, it's a great way to start the season. It's a great way. You know, the kids have just finished the school year. They can now come out at 8.30 at night and see a a two-and-a-half-hour show. And it's a fun show for the entire family. You can bring toddlers to this. You can bring the grandparents to this. And it's exciting. It's magical. Fun tunes and enthusiastic cast. And as Brett mentioned earlier, flying. Mm-hmm. And that's There's awesome. Flying and, and Jeremy, dust. Jeremy Reese is building our set, and I, I haven't. I hesitate to even say this. I haven't been out there yet, but I understand it's huge and spectacular. So the sets and costumes, um, and the fairy dust, spectacle. Yeah, and one of the best be lines there. to end a show ever, I think. 
to be. And it is? Well, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's... No, Wendy, you're too old. <laughs> and it's, that is, that is a heart warmer. But it's but it's so it's if if it's done not harshly, yeah. it can be the most beautiful and heartbreaking ways to end the show. And I'm always like in tears as Peter Pan wraps up, uh, and and, yeah. and it's a good it's a good cry. It's yeah. very very sweet. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's you can't. You see, Wendy, you're too grown up. Yeah. Are you ready, Jane? Of course, then Peter Pan flies off with their daughter, which is well, you know, traumatic, even that. more traumatic. <laughs> we won't talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> no, you're too old. She'll be back. See you later. <laughs> but you always want more for your kids anyway, right? Exactly. So, exactly. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to talk about the Walt Disney animated feature. And we're back uh, to talk about Peter Pan. We're so excited to dive right into this movie. This is one of my favorites. It always has been, and particularly when I became a dad. And I know that listeners to the podcast are like, yeah, we get it. You have a kid. But I'm still – he's still only three and a half years old. This is still pretty new to me. But um, when he was trying to go to bed at night uh, as an infant – the only song that would kind of calm him down was You Can Fly. So we would listen to You Can Fly mm-hmm. over and over and over you again. You Can Fly, You Can Fly. On repeat. That's he my flew. favorite part. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, or when Nana starts barking and then, like, because you picture the video where oh, they put Nana. they put the pixie dust on his butt and, the, you yeah. know, the dog is, like, floating backwards yeah. uh, into the sky. But just... It's such a great film. Yeah. Uh, Gus, you were going to say? I just learned a fun fact. Uh, Mel Blanc was the voice <laughs> of Nana. I'm sorry. I was saving it for later. But the man of a thousand voices, Barney Rubble, um, you know, Bugs, Bugs Bunny. Bunny. Yeah. All the Warner Brothers, sorry. Again, <laughs> the, okay. other the other no, voices. Uh, well, I'm no, fine with he, that with that studio. It's the other one. That it's likes the other one. Um, the big U. Hanna-Barbera? No, that's okay. Oh, that's Poor okay too. Hanna-Barbera. Poor little Hanna yeah. Barbera. But I mean, <laughs> that was in June. Foray was one of the mermaids. Yes, and uh, some of the the classic voice actors of that era. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the movie was rich with that kind of talent. Absolutely. What were your first impressions? Well, and it doesn't necessarily need to be first impressions because some of that might have been a bit ago. Uh, but maybe rewatching. I, I didn't mean that harshly. Jeez. No, it's. But uh, you're too old. You can't come with. Uh, but even uh, in the rewatch, going back, I will mention. You know, I I, I mentioned that some of the. Some of the PC stuff uh, seeped into my viewing this time a little bit more than than it had in the past. But just that, just taking you away to Neverland and that whole thought of even just getting in your own like little happy place and this uh, battle between these lost boys and the pirates is just so grand. And everything in this film uh, and in this story just speaks to me as a kid that never wants to grow up. Uh, but Vanessa, what about your thoughts on sort of overall impressions on Peter Pan as an animated feature? Well... Um, I like it. It's it's a cute movie. Uh, I think watching back the other day, I was surprised by how mean I thought Mr. Darling was. I, I just couldn't... I didn't remember that. I guess I remember some mm-hmm. not really liking the film until it gets into it. I mean, I love Nana. She's so great. But Mr. Darling's not really a likable character. He never really gets his chance to be a likable character except in like one line at the end mm-hmm. um but that kind of struck me of uh, and and how mean um 
Wendy gets like like she's so bullied in this movie. I just feel so bad for her most of the time. So although there's a lot of fun and, and cuteness, there were those things popped up. Maybe it says something about where I'm at no, in my I life think, right no, now. I think it's yeah, those, <laughs> I think it, it talks to, uh, about. I think it's kind of there's two things going on um, in this movie, you know, and now kind of looking at it. Um, as an adult with the themes, you know, and uh, there's, you know, there is Wendy who is treated badly, but then there's um, Tinkerbell who's kind of a feminist icon. You know, she was, she's kind oh, of like this. When she takes her hands and know? measures her hips, I'm like, girl, there has never been an, an animated character that I've related to more <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, she was spat. She was, you know, quite sassy, you know, and she was, you know, she did what she wanted. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> I don't understand that either. That was my phone or that was Tinkerbell. I don't know. Um, anyway, so. <laughs> his phone's talking to him or yes. his watch, his yes. Apple Watch. Just talking to it. So anyway, yeah, so I think that was, you know, that was um, interesting, you know, about um, women's roles, you know, in this film, you know, looking at it as an adult person and kind of as a more of a critique. But, yeah. But as a kid, actually, you know, I mean, other than like clips that might have been on TV shows and that sort of thing, the first time I remember really watching this was um, when I was in, in college, I went to um, a dollar movie. Um, and, and we saw Peter Pan and it was, you know, sticky floors and all of that. It was like not the best theater, not the best theater in Orlando, but, uh, but yeah, but I, but you know, that was, it was, I I still enjoyed it because it was, you know, just fun and such a release, you know, so could watch it as a kid. So Mm -hmm. with a a kid like, uh, appreciation, I guess. My first recollection of the movie is I didn't actually see it, but when I was maybe three or four, my mom had taken my older brother, who was six years older than I was, and some of his friends to see it at a matinee of a, of a re-release. And I walk in to the theater. We went to pick him up, and we were there a little early, so we walked into the theater, and I just was overwhelmed by this huge screen with these children flying through the air, and it freaked me out a little bit because I had never seen a movie, and I've never seen anything that large and in-your-face before. Um, and so that's a really vivid memory of, of coming in to find my brother or to wait for him and peeking in and what do you call that, second acting in the theater? Um, <laughs> sneaking in to watch the end of the movie. But that was, it made a very vivid in, impression with those kids flying back to, to London. And I seem to recall them flying past Big Ben, mm-hmm. but that's from my childhood memory. I'm looking at it through adult eyes. Um, you know, it's just in that classic era of great Disney animation, and you can really see Walt's imprint on the whole thing that they lost after his passing in the in the '60s and '70s. Um, but it's yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, and this was the 14th animated feature, and also the last that all the nine old men. Uh, and we, when we had Dominic Cellini on, we talked a bit about the nine old men and and how they really all of those animations, the classic Disney animations, were done by the likes of Ward Kimball and all of those uh, this folks. This was Ward Kimball's last film. Yeah, and so this was the last time that they were all together, which is really interesting. They had put together all of these animated features in a pretty short amount of time. I mean, you're talking between, by the time uh, Snow White's finally released in 37, 38 to 53, they had 14 of these movies out. Yeah. Uh, and just 
there was a world war in between all that right. too. So you know, so they were also putting out all of these, um, well, basically propaganda pieces, pro-American pieces uh, for the war effort. Uh, so they were extremely busy and just really cementing Disney as the name and animation at this time. Uh, and this is a film that really speaks to that legacy of all of those people. So let's talk a bit about, we can either delve into two different areas, and I'll throw it up to all of you for this. We can talk a bit about the voice acting, in which Gus has already highlighted a, a little, uh, but we can also go into some of our favorite memorable scenes. So, Brett, I'll let you uh, take the ball first. Voice actor that you want to mention or some of your memorable scenes? Uh, well, let's see. Well, I think, you know, when we're, if we're talking about favorites and kind of overall favorites, the You Can Fly, I, I think what I, I, one of the things I like most about this entire film are the, the vocal arrangements. I know that's kind of a minuscule sort of thing, but, but the harmonies that are in You Can Fly are mm-hmm. just gorgeous, you know? So as a kid, you're just, well, this is cool music, and you can fly, and all this, but as an adult, I'm like going, those harmonies are gorgeous. But let's see. Well, that was one thing that I liked. You know, the scenes, the... Actually, I remember, as a, I think, maybe as a child, well, anyway, Skull Rock was scary, you know? I'm like going, that was... This is random thoughts, but anyway, there was some. Um, there's a few scary moments in this movie. I think as know, a child, I think you know. If we're just talking overall favorites, you know, which is kind of where I've led us. Um, <laughs> you know what I like about Peter Pan is that Peter Pan in this film is never afraid. You know, really. I mean, I think he's just kind of you know, and it's all kind of this big adventure for him, which I think is you know very fun. So you don't, you know, when you're watching it, you're not. I'm not afraid for Peter Pan because he's not afraid, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting. But, yeah. But yeah, that was kind of, I'm sorry, a roundabout way to answer that. But those are my favorite that's parts okay. of this film. You're allowed to roundabout every now and then. Yeah. And I think Ramble is my middle name now. But anyway. <laughs> he's a rambling guy. <laughs> like Steve Martin. Uh-huh. Gus? Um, you know, when I was watching it, again, just to refresh my memory, I love the music that um, that Carolyn Lee and, and Moose Charlap wrote for the Broadway version, and there was additional music by Betty Comden, Adolph Green, and Julie Stein. I love that music. So when I'm, I'm seeing key moments, I wanted to hear those songs. The pirate song in the stage version, I think, trumps the song Completely in the movie. Completely agree with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And truth, and this is going to make, this is sacrilegious, um, I'm flying from the Broadway version is a, a, a that's a magical magical moment on stage that just puts you know the chills up your spine. The the choral arrangement in the movie does not I can't match go in my either. mind. <laughs> but, I'm like going. Let's see. This would be apples and oranges. But go ahead. Yes, we are talking about the film. Um, I'm talking because because I've seen We're it on stage enough times. Ones, exactly, okay. yeah. and it just is one of those. You know, there's a couple of musical moments that I've seen that just stayed with me forever. Absolutely. Um, in Crazy View, the Act One finale on the Broadway company was brilliant, um, and in seeing Sandy Duncan fly was brilliant. Um, there's a yeah. clip of that on YouTube, and she, Kathy Rigby was great, too, and she played it, but Sandy Duncan was was a Peter Pan for the generations. Um, but the, the movie, the, the color scheme, the art scheme, um, was just so rich 
the characters so comical, the dynamic between Captain Hook and Smee, just great. Um, it's hard to think of, of Smee in any other outfit than what he wore in the movie. And every time you yeah. see it on stage and he's wearing something different, it's a little bit of a disappointment. It's like, mm. oh, that's not Smee, but it's okay. See what you can bring to it. And, yeah. Craig, you're bringing a great Smee to the stage. Thanks. Regardless I, of what the costume might end up being, you're bringing a great Smee I hear to they're the going to give me a crop top, you know. Yes. My belly is going to hang out. No, I don't think they are. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, got to at least have the mutton chops, sideburns, right. those that's white right. mutton chops. That's right. Well, thank you. Uh, but that leads into I, it's going to sound self-serving, but um, the character I wanted to mention was Bill Thompson playing uh, Smee. You know, he just, to me, does such a great job with that voice. And, um, you know, I think you told me this at rehearsal. No, it was uh, Gil Overman told me this at rehearsal the other night. He said, it was a font of information, by the way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he told me about the book he gave you. We'll have yeah. to do a book review someday or something. Um, but he said, if you think about it, Smee's the mom of the ship. The mother. Oh, of the oh yeah, and no, that's not as plainly evident in the stage version as it is in this particular uh, Disney movie because um, he's making the food for all of them when he comes out. He's mm-hmm. shaving Captain Hook. You know, there's, there's different mo- moments that are just so funny, uh, and he's still getting picked on all the time, and he's still just so bumbly. And it, it's it definitely is one of those where like that's what made me really want to play that role is because of this man and his vocal uh, chops and how he does it and and just. That comical relief character is always right. sort of, sort of in my wheelhouse, and that's that. This movie speaks to that a lot. Are you doing a silly voice like? He's I'm trying to. Different. You know, it's funny because uh, we're working in Act Three la- the other night. I only have like one line, but it's so hard to say in any kind of like Smee voice, so it keeps coming out sort of like weirdly Australian. So yeah. I'm working on <laughs> it. Dying, I, I promise you, it's that I I the little birds are, or it also can come out like very Margaret Hamilton. Hamilton, like very like <laughs> the little birds are, you know, like so. I'm working on it, but and your little but yeah. birds too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, I I like that, and to me, that's the vocal performance that I go to. And of course, Captain Hook's amazing, and Bobby Driscoll. You hear that voice and that youthfulness, uh, which has a, a nice, interesting side story in itself. That they weren't sure that they wanted a boy to play Peter Pan, um, and. Walt was pretty persistent that it needed to be a younger child, and they already had Bobby Driscoll on contract. I think this was his fifth or sixth film with Disney, and uh, so he was brought in. It's creepy looking back now because Bobby Driscoll and Peter Pan look exactly alike. Yeah, uh, and, mm-hmm. and and he didn't grow up. <laughs> yeah, he right. died young, right? I believe. And so it's just like it, having not gone back and really knowing Disney lore until you start kind of looking into these things or or reading massive books that Brett gives you. Um, <laughs> you don't know. So I, when I Googled a picture of Bobby Driscoll, I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, they just... They said, stand here, kid. You're going to be Peter Pan, right. you know? Yeah. And right. that's, uh, I think that's the same really with Catherine Beaumont, too, is that they based mm-hmm. the drawing off of her. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Vanessa, I, don't, I think I've skipped you to this point. So, favorite scenes, favorite actors? I like how they use the non-talking characters to be comic relief. So, Nana, the crocodile, uh, that, oh, yeah. especially the crocodile is so funny with the tail that swishes. And, and it, in the eyes. In the eyes. And it, it's great because it makes um, what could be a really scary moment with Cap, with him like trying to eat Captain Hook. Um, a, not so deadly, uh, but B, fun to watch and makes you like Captain Hook a little bit because he is acting so absurd and silly and like doing the splits on the, the alligator's mouth. And <laughs> We don't do that in the stage you, production. Oh, well, <laughs> well darn. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think those were great. It's great how they could make moments really funny um, in an animated film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about some of the moments that we don't necessarily uh, care for, wish we would have seen a little bit differently. That's um, in a play or in a movie or in a piece like this that you get so much of the source material, there are a lot of different ways to go with this. And I know reading about the production, Walt initially even thought maybe this could be a backstory to Peter Pan because then it's a different type of story than what's been told. Of course, they went more of the traditional this is really what's in the book. Uh, But are there any scenes or anything like that that you wish would have been expanded upon. Gus, you mentioned some of the similarities and differences with the Broadway show, mm-hmm. uh, which are totally valid. Uh, even your I'm flying, I get it. But I just love that you can fly. But maybe talk a bit about some of the, the things you wish would have been tweaked for the film. Well, we had a, a section in the show that we're doing right now. Uh, it was a song called Mysterious Lady. And that was written for the, the specific purpose because Mary Martin had an operatic voice, and it gave Peter Pan and Captain Hook a duet. And we have cut that, because uh, even though Devin could probably sing it, it's just this operatic, silly song, and it's only there because of the two actors who are there. That's the only reason for its existence. And when Kathy Rigby did the, did the show later on, and she toured it forever and brought it back to Broadway, they replaced that with the Marauder's Rock sequence, and where Tiger Lily is is left on the rock. So that, um, we don't have a, a moment that, in our production, that it, ours is much shorter than that. Mm-hmm. Our little scene that, that fills that spot is much shorter. But when they added it to the Kathy Rigby production, it added, um, again, more adult content, perhaps scarier. You make a great point, Vanessa, about the crocodile is funny. Uh, in the movie and not a real threat because he can be, mm-hmm. Captain Hook can be eaten whole but still live and make it out. But that Marauder's Rock sequence adds a real um, kind of scary thing when you realize, oh, this is a bad guy. He is not nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, nah, but I, I just, and what else about the movie? Um, and we can hmm. come back to you as well if okay. you end up having another one. But uh, what didn't quite work for you, Brett, in this film? Or did it all work for you? It all worked for me. <laughs> you're, you're easy to please uh, on some well, um, on some level. Yeah. Well, I don't. Um, I don't know. Again, I think sometimes if you're if you're looking at looking at this, you know, from the uh, intended audience, which would be kids and families, um, you know, and and it was it was about. Uh, 
you know, it was just making a, a you know, telling a good story, mm-hmm. and it, I think it, I think it, it does that. Mm-hmm. I think you know, um, I, I, that's just my uh, opinion that I think it, I think it succeeds on several levels, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. I will say one thing: I didn't care for the Indian chief character yeah. for some of the reasons we've already mentioned and it it doesn't make tiger lily as important of a figure it makes her a damsel in distress well, as opposed talk. to a warrior yeah. yeah she just says help right barely really underwater it's like oh uh, right Which so she's lessened in the movie June I no no it was someone else for that mm. sorry yeah june foray was one of the uh, mermaids yeah. And what was with that? <laughs> all, the, all the sexy mermaids who are trying to entice him. Again, that's where it gets a little adult, and it's like, well, I guess you got to throw in something for Dad. That's just so you can have uh, in the Peter Pan's flight later on, you can replace one of them with Ariel. That's oh, the only right. reason why you have <laughs> Exactly. That's funny. Uh, but, uh, Vanessa, what didn't work in the film for you? There's this one part... Where they're getting ready, um, Mr. and Mrs. Darling are getting ready to leave, and they're walking down the street. And Mrs. Darling's like, "Well, what if Peter Pan does come back, or something like that?" And he starts mocking her, like, "Ooh, what did you think of that?" And I was like, "Ooh, I'm getting ready to punch a hole through this TV screen right now." <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like that. It, it's just, I, I wish there was a way to make Mr. Darling slightly more. Father likable he has in the a, beginning. Yeah, it, it comes back around in the end. You realize he's saying he's kind of lamenting, saying, "You know, I just love her so much. I I want them to be safe and things like that." And he sees the boat, and you realize he's had this past of with Peter Pan as well. But in the beginning, you don't get any of that. He just seems like a really mean, grumpy guy, which I know it's setting up for Hook. But Hook himself is so so goofy that he's likable. That's so one thing I do like about Disney villains is they're all really likable in some way. They're they're dark, but it's it's enjoyable to watch. You're not angry watching them, you know, be villainous. Uh, but Mr. Darling, in the beginning, he never gets his chance. And all the pirates in this can be very cute while talking about murdering children, right? It's yeah. so funny. Like, there are some dark language in both, uh, in, in all the adaptations. Sure, sure. But, um, you know, murdering, uh, I have to say a line, massacre, all that. I have to say a line in the script, it's a holocaust of children. Right. And Ooh. I hate that line. That, that's it's, dark. It's dark. It's dark. But you make a great point about the beginning of the movie. And one thing I think is interesting is the kids start playing Peter Pan, so they already know the Peter Pan story. Wendy, Michael, and John already know it in the movie. Mm-hmm. So when Mrs. Darling is saying, oh, Peter Pan might come, to Mr. Darling, it's a children's story. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? There's no real threat there. In the play, it is set up as a mystery, and this unknown person has been sneaking around the house and peering in through the window and left his shadow there. So there's mm-hmm. much more to fear there, and there's much more yeah. reason for being concerned. And then Mr. Darling's pride prevents him from allowing the protection, Nana, to stay in the room and for them to cancel their plans mm-hmm. and stay and protect the kids. So it's just, it's that so old way, British it works. pride. <laughs> well, it's worse in the play than in the movie. It sounds like I don't know, but it's it's the era. I yeah. love I love though in the play that, uh, and I honestly, I did watch most of the movie. I, I kind of trailed off towards the end last night, um, but 
I love that uh, you're in the doghouse uh, waiting oh, right. for them in the park. literally because uh, because that you know to me it's just like oh he misses them so much and you know it just I don't know it humanizes the character in a way yeah. that I don't think you really get so much in the in the movie. Yeah. So it's hard you know in the movie even um, Hans Conried played both Mr. Darling and Hook. And that's a tradition that's gone on. Same with Peter Pan being played by a woman. It started with the beginning, the very first stage production. But why? Mm-hmm. Some people say it was just, you know, finance. It was easier to pay one actor who would be there all night as opposed to one actor who was in the first scene and the last scene and then one actor who was in the middle. And they just had the same person do it. But I think there has to be something... More of a connection there. Um, Again, the oppression that those British parents might force their kids to be a man. And I have to say that at one point to my, you know, six-year-old son, to be a man, take your medicine. Mm -hmm. And so why is he Captain Hook in this nightmare adventure? I always thought that it had to do with um, this fantasy. You you know, it's not real, really. Like, you could say it's not real, and this is their way of coping, of... They imagine a fantasy land where their father is the bad guy, and so that's right. how they're yeah. they're coping with the dad being kind of, kind you know, of oppressing. Yeah. yeah, but then in, you know it has a nice resolution at the end, and they're able to beat the bad guy yes. in Neverland, exactly. where they're not able to beat the bad guy. But he's really not the bad guy. He is a loving father. He just has all the like they talked about in Pan or in in Hook rather. He just has to deal with the overwhelming responsibilities of being a grown-up and having a family to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, that sometimes can stifle the child in you. It's, it's kind of like um, the Christopher Robin film that just... Very really much. Dry. I mean, Very it's, much. it's yeah. extremely similar, mm-hmm. those plot lines. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's start to wrap things up. Uh, so let's talk about our final thoughts on uh, Peter Pan. Brett, do you want to start us off with your final thoughts? Hmm. It's just, uh, I st- the, the, to me, I think the music endures the most. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, um, well, uh, again, those arrangements, I just love them to this day, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, hearing them in different versions and different, uh, you know, in, in different, yeah, it's the music that, I, that sticks with me. And the second star to the right. <gasps> Talk about like things that. that stick with you. It's interesting that of all these characters, you know, of course, Mickey Mouse is the face of Disney, but those supporting role characters are Jiminy Cricket and Tinkerbell. And Tinkerbell, you right. know, and yeah. so, and of course, Jiminy Cricket and, and uh, Pinocchio has a much <laughs> bigger role, but Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell in this movie, it's just an interesting choice. And I guess Disneyland opened uh, right about this time. You had Wonderful World of Disney on TV, um, so I could see the connection. Uh, but it's interesting that Tinkerbell is that choice to close out so many of the spectaculars and just to be that image uh, for Disney. Yeah, I was in Disney World. Uh, by myself just walking along during the final projections and I didn't realize they were going to release oh. Peter Pan and it's kind of just as you're going into Tomorrowland that's what she flies over and I heard everyone go ah and I look up and I have this on video I go oh my gosh that Tinkerbell my gosh it's Tinkerbell any final thoughts on this show you know I think every generation uh, recreates Peter Pan for the, the children of that time frame. You've seen comic versions, you've seen cartoon versions, you've seen um, dark 
kind of menacing, scary versions. And I think it's just a timeless story that that will live on um, far beyond this movie and far beyond uh, the stage production because it's it's just a we all have to get old. Yeah, and it's something that all of us have to cope with in our own way. And um, and I think that helps to do that. Yeah. But but the but the part about Peter Pan is. That, that sticks with you, even if you grow up and you do, you know, as, as everyone does, you remember what it was like. And the, and and that's what that um, keeps you youthful as well. So. Right. Even with a bald spot, you can co-host a, a, a <laughs> podcast about Disney. So, Vanessa, any <laughs> final thoughts? Well, you had, I've been waiting to say this for a while. You had mentioned that you wanted to talk about the Peter Pan ride. Oh, and the thing is, Craig, is that. steal it. Now, well, now that Brett and I have gone to Disneyland, I have to tell you that the one in Disneyland is so much better. So, you really can't talk about it until you've done both. So, you need to get on that and go mm-hmm. see because it goes. This was, <laughs> this was actually going Oosh. to be, this was going going to be my moment uh, in the wrap-up oh, to sorry. remind the <laughs> listeners that you all went to Disneyland and didn't invite me. Oh, um, no! So uh, I was going to oh say, you know, I've only bitter, been bitter, to bitter, 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 Walt bitter, Disney bitter. World. Well, actually, the ride in Walt Disney World is longer. Okay. Yeah. But there are... Way to deflect, cooler. Brad. It's, true, it's, it's not the same even on the inside. You're I'm not addressing sitting, his point. I was sitting with Erica, and I'm like, Erica, I think this stuff's better. Am I wrong? Well, they re- they re- it a yeah. couple of years ago, so it's they have really cool. Yeah, so we do cool. have the Jim Shore um, of the ride vehicle. It's like Peter Pan riding the Peter Pan's flight ride, uh, and that is designed off the Disneyland one. Um, it's a lot more colorful and it's really cool. Um, but you know, do either of you have any special announcements about trips without me uh, again? No, I, no, this you is were talking be like a yesterday about going joke. on a cruise, and I'm yes, like, about- I don't know what you're doing with your life, Craig. You haven't been to Disneyland yet. You still <laughs> no, want to get me I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, wait, well, I mean, we just need to all go. We I'm do. ready, you we know, do. all the time. <laughs> but thank you, Gus, so much for being on with well, us. Thank we're, you for including me today. Uh, I appreciate it. We're really excited to, and you know, this is again self-serving. I'm really excited to bring uh, Peter Pan out to the Muni, Yay. and the whole cast is phenomenal. We didn't even get to talk about CC Donathan playing Wendy. She's and, wonderful. Uh, you know, born for the role. Cammy Kern playing Tiger Lily, and all these people that are just so wonderful in what they do and it's just going to be a blast the pirates right. are having a great time uh getting it all together i love it you're like i was sitting around talking with the pirates the other day we're <laughs> <laughs> just hanging around the old water bucket and uh... <laughs> it's funny because the pirates always seem to bond because i was in peter pan uh last time the muni did it and uh all those pirates we we just have a blast there's no better like male ensemble to be a part of than the the pirates and well, peter pan. but it's not just forever. a male ensemble in our production that's right it right. is um you know gender fluid with lots of different people we have three uh female pirates mm-hmm in the production. We want the redhead. We want the redhead, yeah. 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 No, there is the redhead. Right. Which is why it's funny that the line, not with a woman, you're not supposed to have a woman on board or whatever, and so Ah. I always look at them like, well, I don't don't know yet how they're actually going to be costumed and what the the take is going to end up being in the final production. So it will be a surprise to us, too. Yeah. But I'm sure it'll be done well regardless. Um, So if you want to come out and see us, go to themuni.org, and we open up on May 31st. I don't know the exact dates off the top of my head, but I want to say they're May 31st through June 2nd and then June 5th through the 9th. Does that sound about Mm -hmm. right? Um, So all that will start about 830 
and you can bring your own blanket, you can bring your own lawn chair. I will say that Peter Pan tends to draw a crowd, so uh, if you want to sit on the lawn, I'd recommend bringing a chair along with you, uh, or you can sit in the reserve seats as well. There's a lot of options out at the Muni. Um, as for the podcast, does anybody else want to give our plugs for the podcast? But well, you can certainly find us on Facebook. We are Beyond the Mouse, a Disney community, Disney fan community. Uh-huh. Um, you can also find us on iTunes. Just give us a little search for uh, Beyond the Mouse. Or you can check us out and all of our friends out on the Front Row Network feed. Uh, we have lots of friends, lots of podcasts uh, to take a look at those. And we also have a website that you can find us on as well. Just give a little Google search Front Row Network and you'll find us pretty quickly. And just want to mention, because it's still pretty fresh, uh, that we are going to be migrating the Front Row Network over to NPR. This and then uh, yes, Beyond the Mouse. our NPR. Yeah, I know, this is the second time we've ended an episode <laughs> like that. We can't help it. We're just so excited. We're very, yes, we're working on it. We, this is Beyond the Mouse. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. I laughed out again. I'm so sorry. For, for a half hour. <laughs> we should do an NPR-only episode and then never do it on NPR. But, but it <laughs> minutes of us saying this is NPR. This is NPR. Sorry. Oh, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna have to do that. That'll be fun. We'll have to do a serious Disney movie. We have a lot of great things coming up this summer. (laughs) I know you guys are going to Marceline soon. Marceline Missouri. We are going to talk about solo trips to Walt Disney World. You're planning on doing some episodes about Disneyland and some tips and tricks. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of things coming up. And thank you so much for the support. Remember to uh, like, share, and subscribe, right? So spread the word about the podcast, and we appreciate that. But for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. I'm Brett. And I'm Gus sitting in today. (laughs) And we will see you real soon in the front row. Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) 